You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. If you swear you don't have enough hours in a day or are a victim of hustle culture, often left feeling less than fulfilled, today's episode is for you. I had an awesome conversation with CEO Rob Matzkin about everything from living with an abundance mindset in alignment with your purpose to how to add 10 or 20 more hours to your week. If you're wanting to kick it up a notch in business or in life and really step up from surviving to thriving, Buckle up and listen in. Stay tuned through this conversation. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And welcome, Rob. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to have you on Thrive. You have really quite the impressive resume. You're like a, what, (laughs) nine-time entrepreneur, a competitive athlete. You helped totally transform the lives of anxious business owners to give them I think I read, what, an extra 10 to 20 hours of time back in a week, which is totally incredible. So I can't wait to hear how you do that. But kick us off with your story, who you are, what you do, and really what got you to where you are today. <laughs> wow. Well, no pressure. I got yeah, no pressure all at all. all. <laughs> um, wow. So that's a really general question. What, what got me here today? Um, so I, I think my the story of my life in a nutshell really comes down to my childhood, my education, um, really had a really supportive family, uh, but I'm dyslexic. I'm severely dyslexic, right? So I didn't read till I was 10 years old. <clears throat> and, you know, at five years old, I'm in first grade and the teacher goes, everybody write down your homework. And then she goes, oh, for Rob, you three, go help Rob write down his homework so he could give it to his parents so he could know what to do. And from then on, I realized I was different. I'm not good enough. I can't read. I'm not normal. So I had this reoccurring conversation. I eventually went to a really amazing school. They really supported me. And I, obviously, I could read and write now, um, but it's always there. I realized recent, like five years ago that I, I still am dyslexic. I always will be dyslexic, but I could still function, right? But what happens is, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about this in David and Goliath. The more character building exercises, the darker down we go into this pit or despair or whatever that is, or hardship, right? The, the farther we know we could push ourselves, the, the more character we have, right? This year happens to be a character building exercise, unfortunately, for the globe, right? So we'll all come out, we'll all come out stronger. But really, for, for me, growing up, that adversity really built a lot of character, but also it... Um, made me see the world very differently, right? So, I, you know, for me to text, I'm going to make spelling errors. I'm going to make grammatical errors. Um, every email I write, I have, I know, no matter how many times I proof it, I know there might be an error that could be embarrassing, right? I, when, I, when I used to date, um, I, you know, I'd be on a dating app and I'd make spelling mistakes and they're like, you're an idiot. I'm not talking to you, but I'm like, you're amazing. <laughs> Don't come back, please. I'm sorry. Um, and these are just, this is my life, right? And it's fine and nothing's wrong, but I had to also unpack, you know, these inauthenticities that I had. 
like uh, I, I sometimes I, I used to be more arrogant. Now I'm only sometimes arrogant that I was I walk in a room and I have to prove to everybody how how smart I am or how successful I am. Why? Because I had this insecurity that I couldn't read. So I, I, I want to show you how smart I am. And I happen to get rid of most of that. It still shows up from time to time. I've done a lot of a lot of personal growth. Right. Done a lot of uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Landmark. Um, but that's a really amazing program um, that I do for my own personal growth and development, where I really source a lot of um, power that I have in that and really how I really went to work on myself um, or if it's Tony Robbins or a bunch of other gurus, too. But that's kind of my origin story of really this is why I'm an entrepreneur, because I really think differently. I see the world differently, which allows me to see opportunities, I guess, as well. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I also like that you mentioned that, or I guess I should say admitted that at least in the past you've been arrogant, but it was directly derived from an insecurity because I think a lot of times people will probably step into a space and immediately judge someone for their arrogance and assume that mm -hmm. they're just an asshole who's full of themselves and very confident. And your case especially just proved that it actually was almost the flip side of trying to overcompensate for something else mm -hmm. lying beneath the surface. So I think that's an important thing to point out for people too, just in the, in the, in the realm of not judging a book by its cover. Well, I'm the first one too. It's one of the things I'm working on now. But uh, like I was out with my girlfriend, I'm like, and, and it was one of the first times we're out in a, in a larger uh, group, especially with everything going on this year. And she's like, and she's so curious. She like started up a conversation and I'm like, Oh, they're authentic. They're inauthentic. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I look for, I, I seek for authenticity. Right. Um, but she's just super curious and, and it's a beautiful thing. I'm like, I got to work on that. Uh -huh. um, so, but, it, but the, the, the arrogance or a lot of everything we're, we're fear driven, right? It's like hardwired for us. So, you know, a lot of times when you see something in somebody else, it's just fear based, right? Absolutely. For the most ruthless people. So anyway, well, obviously fear is something that holds people back a lot, but I would also say um, not necessarily feeling in tune to your purpose is something that also can hold people back, especially people who really are trying to live, work, be in alignment with that. And I know you're super big on purpose and helping people find theirs and live accordingly. And you follow this Japanese concept about a fulfillment path. So can you talk to us about what that is how it works yeah. and kind of break it down as practically as possible for listeners to self-assess <laughs> their purpose. Sure. I'll, uh, uh, I'll, I'll try and do my best. Right. So, <clears throat> you know, purpose. So there's absolutely purpose. There's absolutely the direction you want to go. And I also love to be believe in balance. Right. So everything's kind of th th this whole balance and purpose. Right. Now, I Ikigai is this whole Japanese concept where, I used to have this whole attitude and methodology where I, my life used to be for a long time has been actually really amazing. I used to be a whitewater raft guide in Vail. I used to run some, um, I used to run some uh, businesses out there and that's where I skinned my teeth. But really what it comes down to, even having the best job at the time that I thought was most amazing, like teaching skiing part-time and being a whitewater raft guide and having amazing people in my life, the grass is always greener, right? I didn't have something that fulfilled me, right? So I had a skill set people could pay me for, and I'm just going to pull up here real quick uh, a photo to have in front of me, just so I, uh, I, I know it cold, but it's always now, now, now the pressure's on. So I want to just have it in front of me now I do. <laughs> 
Um, but really, if you could get like so many times we do what we could get paid for, right? And that's our primary purpose, right? Because we want to have the things we want to have. But so many times we also gravitate to what we're good at and what we could get paid for, which is great, but that's what's called a profession, right? But what if we could also do what we love to do? Okay, great. Now all of a sudden we're doing what we love to do. But again, we have this feeling of loot uselessness, which is what I just described, because we're not doing anything with that purpose with what the world really needs. Now, if you could bring in love, needs, getting paid for and what you're good at, and imagine a Venn diagram, all of a sudden there's this huge synergy where that whole grass is greener conversation doesn't exist. And this whole having to self-motivate doesn't exist and all these motivational tactics, everything disappears. It's just simple. Why? Because all sides you're balanced everything you know could drive concurrently and one thing feeds the next your insecurities will disappear the frictions will disappear so that's kind of this concept of ikigai now you change the parameters like you're doing what the what you love and what the world needs well you have a mission but you can't you're not getting paid so then you have this scarcity mindset right so that's kind of a nutshell of what of what it is so if someone's not necessarily as entrepreneurial as you or I, for example, and they know they want a boss, they know they need kind of like a more structured job setting, and they're kind of working backwards like, all right, how do I, I have these skills, I have these talents, I enjoy doing XYZ with my free time, this is what I went to school for or what I'm knowledgeable at from a professional standpoint. Is there any sort of tips that you have for kind of merging, finding that sweet spot, finding that synergy, merging things together where someone's like, all right, I'm not going to take this and create something completely new, but I still want to kind of have these things synergetically aligning. <laughs> well, so two things I'm going to, I'm going to take the long way around on this. So first of all, if it's personal, it, it, it's, it's a slightly different answer. If it's professional and business, right? There's this huge myth in entrepreneurship that the media creates and PR teams perpetuate, that there is one person on a pedestal that is a superhuman that creates a company, right? Microsoft, well, there's this guy named Bill Gates. He started it. No, him and Paul Allen started it, right? So, you know, Google, Bryn, right? Page, right? Apple, Jobs, Wozniak. It was two people, but it always became Jobs, right? So we kind of put these on a pedestal. So but my point is, we all have strengths and weaknesses, right? I run a full-time company called MyQuest. We're really trying to change the world of how people learn and grow instead of large organizations. Now, I have a business partner, right? <clears throat> on an Enneagram, we're very similar, which is kind of like our base egoic kind of state. But from a life perspective, he's a programmer. He's um, very analytical. I'm a business guy. I'm very like, fly by the seat of my pants, we complement each other really well. We both happen to be not organized at all. So we have somebody else to come in and help us with organization. We have to pay for that. But find somebody who compliments you and compliments you in a way that they're really complimenting those skill sets. In life too, I think. I think that's also in a relationship, right? That's, I think that's what people need, need, need what they, I think, I think that's what people mean when they say opposites attract. It's not really opposites, it's compliments. Mm -hmm. I think it's also what people mean when they say, um, 
like two halves make a whole or rather two halves don't make a whole two holes make a whole yeah <laughs> so not necessarily looking for half of a person in whatever whatever field or thought process you're thinking of there but really looking for just two complementary pieces not right. empty and somehow just, empty <laughs> exactly and just remember you're you really don't want to do a company by your, by yourself for so many reasons uh mainly you're going to get discouraged at some point and somebody else is going to help you and pick it up. And two, it's too, it's really too difficult to do it on your own. I've done it on my own. Never again, uh, ever. Um, but the other thing is, if that's the case, if you're not going to do it alone, why would you find somebody that is so similar to you? Because then you're just going to compete and repeat the work that you're going to, and then you're going to have this huge blank spot. So the more you can find somebody that compliments you, the stronger uh, a team you'll have. Yeah. You mentioned this phrase earlier, and I know you're big on this too, scarcity mindset. So I want to dive mm -hmm. into talking about what that is. Can you walk us through what a scarcity mindset is versus what ideally we want, a more abundant mindset, and how listeners can maybe eliminate that scarcity mindset to mm -hmm. really just set themselves up for more success and more abundance in life across the board moving forward? Yeah, yeah so they could thrive, right? Totally. Like exactly what we're talking about yeah. here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so scarcity mindset, right? It's really a fear-based mindset, right? Where we're holding on to something, we're afraid of something. Whenever we're acting in fear, right? Like I was actually, uh, I was swimming this morning and I was thinking, I'm like, you know, one of the things I always like, I've been burned before in business and I like having a buffer in my bank account, you know, because what if it's one day something like, we shut tomorrow. Now it's not going to happen, but I have this scarcity mindset. I've kind of dealt with my fears of failure and what that means. Uh, and, and, and this fears of failure of, well, if I fail or if the business fails. It means I fail. It means I'm attached to the business. Right. But, I'm, but all of a sudden with that mindset, I was like, well, I needed all this extra buffer. And I had all this money in cash, right. For the last year until recently, in March, I knew it was a great time to invest last March, but I wasn't because I was like, I need a buffer, especially right now. It's chicken little. The sky's falling. I don't really don't know if we'll be in business in three months. Turns out we were, and I didn't have the, I had the scarcity, I had, I had that mindset to, to not, to, so I didn't do it. But I was like, damn, I could have turned that like 8, 10x right now. It's like, you know, even the investments that I have now, I'm like, Ugh. but anyway, so, but those are the opportunities that we lose. Right. Or we're just really bottled up or tense. Right. Versus just being free. So like, man, it's such a huge question sometimes, but it's just <clears throat> so if we're in a scarcity mindset, we understand really what it's what the cost is to us. But how do we get out of that? Right. And I think I think the first thing to look at and sometimes you can't do this on your own. Right. This is why I do landmark and this is why. I, I have a, a life coach myself. I have a business coach myself because I think the best athletes in the world, whether it's Jordan, whether it's Woods, whether it's LeBron, whoever that is, they have a coach. Now they are the best at the world and they're still listening to somebody else tell them what to do because they can't see for it themselves. They can do video analysis, they still won't see it. So you need somebody to see what's going on. So when you have a scarcity mindset, Getting coaching, getting outside support, getting outside advice is, I think, really powerful. But once you identify what that fear is, going to work on it. And, you know, 
fear doesn't fear is just a construct of our mind right it doesn't necessarily exist now there is a grizzly bear on the trail well that's danger that exists in real life but so many other things that happen to us on a day-to-day basis that we're afraid they're just these stories that might come true that probably won't but that we manifest right so that's gonna does that that answer your question sort of i mean if only thing to add on (laughs) no you did only thing to add on would be if you have any personal favorite ways that you've learned from your own coaches maybe from kind of transitioning to living in a more abundant mindset and like believing it sure sorry it was such a big question i forgot the question um yeah so how do you get off a scarcity mindset man there's so many different ways and some some are really individualized i think what are ways that i've got off a scarcity mindset right so dropping for me it always comes down to fear and really what i'm what i'm afraid of right if i'm afraid of failing right how do i get over failing well the way i got over failing was realizing and understanding it's doesn't mean anything if I fail, right? If I'm bankrupt living on my parents' couch or whatever that looks like, well, that's embarrassing, I guess. Maybe not. You know, it wasn't embarrassing. So how many, how many people did that happen to, unfortunately, this year? Right. I know I know a ton of friends that moved back home and because of, you know, it was this year. Had nothing to do with anything about anybody. Um, but they're still the exact same humans they were and they built a tremendous amount of characters. So, so much better for it. So letting go and, you know, understanding that it's, it's okay, I guess is, is the easiest, most general way. I know that's not very um, articulate <laughs> or sophisticated advice or something magical or something that you've never heard of before. But a lot of times just the other thing is, I guess, creating a life of abundance comes from, I think, from my perspective, just working on balance and working on like the other, the other methodology I use is like, there's a wheel of life, there's a circle of life, right? There's a different spokes, to the wheel, there's, there's your health, there's your fitness, there's your finances, there's your romance, there's your family, right? There's your fun, right? And all those different areas. And if you draw out those areas and, and, and it's, this is a pie chart and you shade in the areas, each area of which, is strong and which is weak, right? So for me, uh, health and fitness is through the roof, relationship through the roof, finances. Actually, most of them these days are very, very high. For a very long time, romance is really low. Uh, finance was really low. Um, even though, despite everything, you know, the entrepreneurship roller coaster, uh, family was low. But I went to work on those areas and then balanced it out. And the reason I say balance, and I'll just conclude it by this if this pie, turns into a wheel and you want to move fast. How is this wheel going to go down the road if it's just clunky? If it's going five miles an hour, no big deal, stuff falls off. But if you're going 100, you're going to crash and burn. But if it's smooth, you're going 100, 200 miles an hour, you can move fast, you can create abundance, right? It's also, it's like a flywheel, that the less friction you have in this flywheel, the more abundance you have. Right. So the more things going against you, the more scarcity you have. So go to work on specific areas that are weak and slowly put focus and attention on those areas while maintaining others and you'll grow and you'll create more abundance. 
I like that metaphor or that analogy a lot too because I'm someone who always swears by balance doesn't exist. Balance is a unicorn and it's if you're giving more to one thing, something else has got to give since there's only a certain number of hours in a day. But what I really like about that metaphor is it kind of almost brings those two theories together in a sense because in my world, balance doesn't exist if one thing is getting a lot more attention than the other. But in this analogy of the wheel, everything kind of needs to have equal parts attention for there to be that that wheel to keep on moving. <laughs> well, sure, but it's not equal amounts of time. It's right. not equal amounts of attention. My health and fitness, if I just want to be fit and health, I could work out 30 minutes a day and be super healthy, right? My diet, I could eat the completely different things. There's no more time. There's no more attention. I eat really clean and I set up systems like B BJ Fogg, who has like what's it's called, tiny habits. He doesn't say it's a motivational issue. He says it's a, <clears throat> it, 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 it's a, it's a UX issue, right? It's the system. It's a systems issue. So I eat really clean because I only have clean things to eat because I only know healthy recipes and I create a framework for that, right? I work every, out every day because I like my, my recreation is kite surfing, surfing. And in order to do those things, I need to be in shape, right? So otherwise I pay the consequences and I get injured. So, but I don't necessarily have to spend a disproportionate amount of time. I love information. I love to read. I love to listen. I listen to Audible constantly. I listened to 240 books last year. How? Because I have a tremendous amount of free time. The opposite. But I invent time from doing the dishes. If I'm out for a walk, if I'm, I'm not watching TV, like these things. So it's not time or focus, but I have a balance of life. Each one is performing balanced. Yeah. How's that for a refinement? No, it, it totally makes sense because you're intentionally interweaving them together in a way that serves the lifestyle that you lead. And it's not... It's, it's like eliminating that time construct where people say, okay, I, I, don't have, I don't have time to work out because X, Y, Z. It's kind of like thinking, all right, well, how can you weave that into the time that you already do have and make it all happen? Yeah. And actually, I want to add two more things to this, this whole direction than this whole original question. One is choose a direction. What is the life of your dreams? What do you want to manifest? What does that look like? Is it a family? Is it being a ladies' man? Is it being, uh, you know, whatever that is, right? What do you want to create? What does that look like? Is it having a lot of fun? Is it financial freedom? Is it having a job with a perp? What is what is most important? You dream it, and then and then write it down, and then everything will steer towards that, right? The other thing that really I think helps with that is there's a mindset that. Everybody has, I think, or most people have by default. And it's have, do, be. People want to have the things they want to have. They want to collect all the money and be really successful. Then they want to go on all these crazy vacations, have all these crazy cars, do all these crazy vacations, like all these, like whatever that is for you, right? And do all these things. And then they'll finally worrying about being this philanthropist, this person that gives back, this person that cares, right? How many people, like, if you look at boards of philanthropy, they're skewed to a much older audience because those are the people that are putting their time and resources in, right? And because those are people that are focused on being that person they always dreamt of being. What made a huge difference for me was all of a sudden where everything changed was I really focused on, started focusing, I got coaching on this, being the person I've always dreamt of being. 
making that impact for others. What fulfills me is making a huge impact for others, right? On a personal level and on a huge scale. And once I started doing that and was the person I wanted to be, then I started focusing on the things I wanted to do and the things that meant, like were important to me and what made, what fulfilled me and what, well, not fulfilled me, but where I had fun, right? And then, and now, especially, I focus on what I want to have, right? And full financial freedom and everything else. And it comes to me because I am that person I wanted to be. And those doing things, they just come on a daily basis. So just flipping that, it, it, it sounds kind of like semantics, but it, it's actually just a really powerful mindset. If we are those people we are, then we're really meant to be, not our egos, not our identities, right? And we are our true self. That's just super authentic super powerful and just trusting ourselves everything will kind of come come together from there i love that i read something similar it might have been the book atomic habits um some habit related some habit related book (laughs) one of them where they said one of the most important keys to starting a new habit in your life that's a positive one is by deciding that you are the type of person that does that thing And then that mindset shift is enough to kind of get it going. So if it is working out, it's deciding that you are someone who works out, not that you have get a workout in just as a thing on your to-do list that feels like another chore or another, uh, just a pain in the butt thing to do. It's like deciding that you are going to be that thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I love it. Okay, so you talk about getting people 10 to 20 hours back in a week, and I feel like that's really enticing, and I'm a marketing girl, so I mean, it sparked my ears up. Uh, Talk to us about this, because I'm sure we have listeners who are like, all right, Rob, I would like 10 to 20 hours back in my week, so (laughs) enlighten us with what what that is, what it means, and how you do it. Sure. Well, I can't give everything away, but no. (laughs) um, Give us like 12 hours back if it's not going to be 20. No, so I work with my clients on this all the time, right? And um, when, especially when I'm coaching business hours, business owners on hours, well. Um, so what happens is this goes back to what are strengths or what are weaknesses, right? And, you know, none of this is crazy sophisticated, but it does come down to what are you good at? What do you love to do? And what are you not good at? What do you not like to do, right? What are you going to stop doing, Right. So there's looking at all that, and then that's a tremendous amount of time, especially the stuff that the stuff we really don't like doing. It always takes us way longer. We always procrastinate on it. That's when we get up. That's when we start watching the news. That's why we find something when we find something else to do. So we just cut that out and either hire a freelancer on Fiverr, find somebody across the globe to support you in that for something reasonable, find a staff member to support you with that. By the way, this applies to life. There's so much that if you hired an assistant, right? Like I have, I love the global economy. Right now we're building a team in South Africa for one of my companies. Uh, We already have a team in, in the Philippines. The leveraging of like foreign exchange rates and paying great salaries in these local markets really allows us to leverage what we're doing and just be more powerful what we're doing, right? Um, so even in, in, in my life, I have people that support me with some of the writing that I do and, and, and some of the, and all this other stuff. So there's that, there's that whole aspect of stop doing. There's also just prioritization. I love the Eisenhower grid. I don't know if you've ever seen that uh, before, but it's like a SWOT analysis, it's just a grid, right? It's um, 
Now, now I, you know, whenever I have these visualized pictures, I all of a sudden draw a blank, blank, but really what it comes down to is what your priorities are, right? So what's urgent and what's important. So if it's, so on the, the top, if it's something is urgent, right? And something is important, both on the top left of the grid, you do that right away. If something's not urgent and not important on the bottom corner, bottom right-hand corner of the grid, you get rid of it, right? And then if it's on the top, if it's important but not urgent, we'll do it later. And if it's urgent but not important, right? Well, you, you could also delegate those things, right? So then all of a sudden, all you're really doing and focused on is the urgent and important stuff every day. Uh, what is another great concept as well? Cal Newport's concept of deep work. I love Cal Newport, huge fan of him. But using blocks in your calendar, right? 90 minute blocks, deep work, crushing the amount of productivity you could get done. Right? So many of us, every time, <clears throat> I think this comes back from another habit book, the yellow one that I read 10 years ago. I can't remember which one. It's just habits. Uh, the yellow habit books with the like bicycle on it. Um, <clears throat> I think they talk about like mental fortitude, mental energy. And one of the things that was super fascinating to me was we have uh, basically eight big blocks a day of mental capacity and 40 small blocks a day. So like eight 40 minute chunks are the big blocks and 40 small chunks. Maybe I'm getting the number slightly wrong that we could do six to 10 minute chunks of tasks, right? Now, every time you do a task and it gets interrupted, it counts as a, another task if you start it over, right? And then you lose mental acuity, right? So towards the end of the day, I get really exhausted and I can't do my detailed work. I have to get that all done 6 a.m. before my day starts, right? And I do that deep work. So then all of a sudden, I'm just more productive. Like this morning, I got done. If I did it this afternoon, the work that I did this morning would take me three times as long, right? It was three hours of work, but it would have took me a whole day to do. I just crushed it in that small amount of time. So those are type of things where all of a sudden, all this, these little things, they add up. The final thing I'll give you is how do you invent time? How do you magically invent time? And it, it, it's very simple. I already told you how I, how did I read 240 books last year, right? How did I average 20 books a month? And there was two months where somebody told me about a book a day and I'm like a book a day. There's no way I can read a book a day. And I got to a book a day. Then I really had no time. <clears throat> That's too much. Um, but I, I'm a big listener, right? I already shared I'm dyslexic. So one of the great things was that <clears throat> as a dyslexic, I couldn't read. So I had to learn the world through my ears. So I'm an auditory learner and I could listen to a book at 3X. Now, everybody says, try it. It's, you, you could try to listen to a book at 3X. It sounds like gibberish to most people, but I have 100% comprehension on it. And I love it. So I could just plow through books that way. But I'm also listening to books, I'm running, I'm walking, I'm doing my dishes. I love to cook huge meals and intricate meals while listening to a book. It can't be a new recipe, I gotta kind of know it. But then, so I have all these home-cooked meals and I have, uh, you know, I actually do the dishes and my place is immaculate because I'm listening and doing stuff and it really works for me. So that's how I kind of invented time there as well. Well, now I have to try that because I have a really high processing speed. So I'm really curious now. Challenge accepted. I want to see if I can listen to a book <laughs> at 3x and see if I understand it or not. That's awesome. Build your way up. Like you could start with 1.2 and 1.5 and then two, like 
to me, like a book sound in, at one X sounds like slow motion. And like everything I listen to is a two X. Um, but yeah, I usually like to get three X unless they're British, then it has to be at like 0.5. Um, <laughs> um, now you also brought up a really great point though, to reiterate on context switching. Um, because people oftentimes will, I will always hear people say, oh, should I work in the morning or should I work in the evening or should I work in the middle of the afternoon? And I think one of the bigger, the bigger things is exactly what you said with deep work in terms of how many other tabs do you have open? How many other distractions or pieces of technology are interrupting your work? Because regardless of whether you're working at 6 a.m. or 2 p.m. or like midnight, if you were alternating between other things, it's lessening your productivity, it's lessening your ability to focus, you're weakening your muscle in your brain, you're getting more tired and you're not gonna be as productive and it doesn't matter whether you're a night owl or a morning person or something in between. So that's, I always have heard it called context switching. So if you and, want, and it, if you can yeah. get deeper, deeper into your work and focus and actually have one, your, one mind on one tab at a time, which I'm like super guilty of not doing a lot of times, but if you can get well, to that place, that's like the sweet spot. Well, so I'm a male. I can't multitask. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but nobody really can. Right. And there takes so much mental acuity. Like I, do, I, I have notifications on, but I, I have no, uh, everything's on sound throughout the day. I'll check my, I try to, by the way, I'm still as addicted as the rest of us, but you know, also cutting down on social media. I don't have, I have accounts on Facebook and Instagram. I don't have the apps on my phone. Why? Because this guy named Mark specifically listened to BJ Fogg or whoever he learned it from how to make this thing so addictive because he wants your eyeballs to sell you advertising space. He doesn't want to save the world. He wants to sell you stuff. You're a marketing expert. You know this way better than I do. And these, these things that we have in our hands are amazing or transformational, but they're not built for productivity. They're not built for time. If you look at your stats now that Apple gives you, it's amazing how much time you spend on that. But the more you stay focused on one task at a time, the less you get distracted. It, you just have so much more energy to get those other tasks done sooner. Right? Absolutely. And, yeah. and by the way, the more busy, I, I also, a lot of days, I only work four days a week. My days are 12 hour days, those four days, but I jam everything in. Why? Like today, I haven't even had, I, I haven't got up off this chair in the last four hours. And I have another, <laughs> I'm going to 9 p.m. tonight. And it's great because I'm super productive. I'll be exhausted by the end of the day, but I'll get everything done versus like another day where it's like holes in my schedule, those holes of 30 minutes. I don't get anything done in those 30 minutes, right? So it's really arranging your schedule to figure out what works for you. So if you're really busy, the more you could condense, like when I'm super busy, when I used to work 16, 18 hour days, I would spend a half an hour to start the day and I'd write out every task I had to, I, well, I'd had my do list, not to do list, my do list. And I'd take that do list and I'd schedule it 10 minute intervals from six in the morning, right? all the way to 8 p.m., 9 p.m. of what I'm going to do, when I'm going to do it. That also means what I'm going to move on from it because I have the next thing. And everything is like a meeting with the with your board of directors. You are not late to every meeting, and every meeting is like that meeting. And you're scheduling every little bit. Now, you'll be amazed how, product, how productive you are if you do that, that task as well. 
I always have found that my most productive days are days that are actually a jam-packed schedule with things, yep. even if it's even if it's you creating your own arbitrary schedule, if it's on your schedule, guaranteed you'll be more productive than if you just have this big open calendar where you're like, I got all day free, I'm gonna make all of these things happen. No, you won't. You're gonna you're gonna get much more. You're gonna get much more done if you actually have, all right, from eight to nine I have this, from nine thirty to ten thirty I have this, from twelve to two thirty I have this. Bing, bang, boom, actually write down your duns after at the end of the day to see how your to-do list matched with what you actually got done to test how productive you were versus if you were just busy or wasting time. Mm -hmm. And what leads me to is there's a great quote that I started living by. If you want the most amount of freedom, create structure. If you just have free, if you have just all free form, you'll have with no structure, you'll have no freedom. You'll just be running around like a chicken with the head cut off versus if you have structure, you'll have all the freedom in the world. That's awesome. I love that. Well, Rob, thank you so much for joining us on Thrive. I want to ask My you, uh, what does Thrive mean to you and how do you strive to thrive in your own everyday life? Thrive. Thrive means to me, that's a pop quiz over here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, thriving to me means thriving, striving, just really stretching to grow and to be my dreams every day. Right. That's what thrive means to me. Yeah. Awesome. Where can people find you online if they want to connect with you further? Yeah. Uh, I have two emails. Well, you hit me up at robmatskin.com, R-O-B-M-A-T-Z-K-I-N. And you could easily email me at robmatskin at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you. Love to answer any questions and love to help you guys out if you're looking to grow. Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.